entering the Freedom Hut. The resistance thinks they have achieved victory over Trump, but my friends, they celebrate far too early. This president will fight through, push through, and come out victorious on the other side. We'll talk about that. Plus, what's going on in Sweden? A party on the far right is gaining a lot of ground. Here's a hint, immigration. And also, speaking of immigration, how has the left handled the Molly Tibbetts case? We'll get into that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me, as always. You know what? I'm 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 here to be a little ray of sunshine today, folks. I know it's a tough one out there in Trump supporter land for some of you. At least I think a lot of you are like, you know what, Buck? No, it's not. It's fine. It's gonna be fine. They got they got nothing. They still got nothing. There's still no collusion. But we sit here and we understand that one. I mean, the, the left has completely lost their minds. The Democrat Party, because it has no scruples, has a tremendous amount of area to maneuver, right, can do anything it wants to do, can find any number of different ways to come at the president. Oh, the 25th Amendment, he's crazy. Oh, he's a racist. We have to get rid of him because of, you know, racism. Oh, he's a Russian stooge. Oh, now it's obstruction. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, now it's campaign finance violation. They just come at him with new charges all the time. Charge after charge after charge. As I keep telling you, what is more probable? That there are people who refuse to accept that he is the president, that he defeated Hillary Clinton, in a free and fair election because they have lost power and prestige and even a sense of self as a result of Hillary's loss, or that Trump just has broken all of these different laws, never any proof of any of it, though, but he's broken all these different laws and they're just hot on his trail and they're figuring it out. I think we all know the answer to this. Um, I think that this is a moment in time that is testing us because we understand that the other side will stop at nothing. They will do anything that they can, and they are celebrating this. There is no small part of me that feels disdain for those who want to celebrate the downfall of a presidency, which has not happened, my friends, and I believe in my heart of hearts, absolutely will not happen. Uh, But that folks would want to celebrate that at a time when actually the country is doing so very well tells you all you need to know about them. And the same Democrats that want Trump to get impeached, to get removed from office, too, or even to get criminally prosecuted, the ones that, you know, were were happy to root against our soldiers and their safety in the Iraq war. Remember the Pelosi era and the House of Representatives, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008. Oh, yeah, that's right. There were Democrats who were hoping we were going to be even more bloodied in Iraq than we were because it would it would be hard for Bush. That's right. That was what the mindset was. And I saw it. I remember I was in the CIA's Iraq office and I was briefing people going down to Capitol Hill, meeting with the top policymakers, meeting with the president. And I remember what the Democrats were like that. Now that mentality has just shifted. Instead of Bush is a war criminal, it's Trump is a campaign finance criminal is that even is that even a thing the dirsch weighed in on this one we also interviewed him on my show rising this morning play 14 
some stations are already playing the funeral music for uh, President Trump. But this is much more complicated and much more uh, nuanced. First of all, the crime itself is very, very vague. They tried to uh, put Edwards, the former presidential candidate, on trial. And, of course, they got an acquittal. But second, it really require, uh, depends completely on the credibility of Cohn. And remember, as Judge Ellis said, uh, when they squeeze people like Manafort or Cohen, uh, they squeeze them not only to sing, but sometimes to compose. And it's very easy to embellish a story. This is the beginning of a okay. story that will unravel over time, but it's not nearly as deadly lethal as some have portrayed it as being. Now, you mentioned John Edwards. John Edwards, for those who may have forgotten, was a, a particularly oleaginous politician. He was, an, he was a slimy fellow. Uh, was known to conjure, and I mean that in the in the sort of older sense of the term, to to bring up to be a conjurer of the voices of dead children for the purposes of swaying juries to give very large verdicts to people who were uh, plaintiffs suing hospitals and do- or doctors. Uh, that was how John Edwards made his money. Yeah, and I mean, he actually, and this was on court record, I claimed to speak for a dead child. The dead child was speaking through him. That was who John Edwards was. Vice presidential candidate, folks, for the Democratic Party. At different times, I mean, I think he won a number of primaries. At different times, was number two in the, uh, in the running for the uh, Democrat presidential nomination. And he had a love child with... Is that is that the proper term? Whatever the term is. He had a child out of wedlock with a real hunter who had been his videographer. He had hired her after meeting her in a bar where I meet all my videographers. And they had an affair and his wife was dying of, from cancer at the time. And some of his uh, when he was running for office, when Edwards was running for office, some of his supporters arranged for, I think, a million dollars or so to take care of his mistress and the child. To, to pay for their uh, upkeep and everything else, and to keep this quiet. So they brought charges against him. Charges were brought against John Edwards for that, and there was no conviction of John Edwards. So I would just want to know, g- given that that was the outcome there, wh- why would the outcome here with a, uh, a much lesser issue, with much less clarity as to Trump's involvement or whether Trump really knew and at what point he knew. I know he said earlier today in an interview with Fox, he only knew things later on. Why would we think that this would then, if that was not criminal, my friends, how could anyone really think that this would be criminal with Trump? It's as though we've, we, we have, I'll be talking about running the experiment in the economy later, but we've run the experiment from a criminal justice standpoint on this and everything for Trump was should be should be fine, and I believe he uh, he will be. Um, this is interesting. By the way, one more note here from Andy, our friend Andy McCarthy on Cohen's role in all this. Play fifteen. These guys got on the government's crosshairs because of their connections to first candidate and now President Trump. I don't think there's any question about that, but I do think that the Cohen case ended up in the Southern District because Mueller didn't see uh, him 
Cohen as somebody who was going to advance his Russia investigation, and the Southern District had a different line of interest in Cohen. I don't think they regard him as a witness. I think for precisely the reason you've pointed out, you know, he's made statements that are all over the map. They did elicit that from him today when he gave his allocution at his guilty plea. But I think if they regarded him as a valuable witness or a cooperator, you'd see a very different kind of plea agreement. Yeah, that's right. I don't think Cohen's got anything, folks. His lawyer's trying to make it seem like he does, trying to get a better deal, trying to get a little sympathy for him. I don't think Cohen's got any goods because there's no goods to be had. One more thing. And I'm going to talk about this more. And I got to get to the Supreme Court and how they're not trying to make this affect the Supreme Court. And the Democrats are utterly shameless, as you know. Trumpism is a movement. One thing that I have to remark on, because it's it's fascinating to me, is that the left seems to think if they were able to impeach and maybe even remove this president, that they would stop everything that he stood for. When I think that in many ways... They have no idea what they will have unleashed on themselves, politically speaking, if they stop this president through a legal weaponization through this witch hunt process, because Trumpism will continue on even beyond Trump, whether it's six years or six months from now, if he were to step down. We've got a lot more show coming. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Stay with me. The Judiciary Committee should postpone Judge Kavanaugh's hearings. At this moment in our nation's history, the Senate should not confirm a man to the bench who believes that presidents are virtually beyond accountability, even in criminal cases. The doubts about Judge Kavanaugh's fitness for the bench were just magnified by Mr. Cohen's plea agreement. The prospect of the president being implicated in some criminal case is no longer a hypothetical that can be dismissed. It's very real. Oh, what a surprise. Now the Supreme Court is also going to be, they think, a, a one of the uh, political spoils that they can count on here. Chuck Schumer immediately jumping onto this one. Uh, the, the idea that they would delay the... Uh, they, they would delay the confirmation hearing of Kavanaugh is is so classic, isn't it? Um, by the way, they're, they're not going to win the Senate anyway. So w- what's this going to be? What they're really saying, though, is that Trump is not the president. You see, that's what they're tapping into here. That's where they get this idea that they can get away with saying things like, well, it's, you know, the Supreme Court would be illegitimate. In fact, that's what some Democrats are saying. There is a a line out there now that essentially says the Supreme Court would be an illegitimate institution if Kavanaugh was put on it by Trump. Krugman, I think, the New York Times takes this line because essentially Trump is no, no longer really the president. Not my president has turned into no, no, not my president. They think this is this is real. And this is what brings me back to folks. This is all political. It is all political. Okay, they, 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 it's not that Trump has, is, is the worst person ever who's done all these terrible things and all this other stuff. No, that's not what's happened. I know you know this, but we, we have to remind ourselves of it. They have done everything that they can to weaponize the Department of Justice, to weaponize federal prosecutors against the administration. And the terror, I mean, the part of this that just drives me insane 
is that the administration, I mean, the Trump administration should have stopped this in the very beginning. Never should have had Jeff Sessions recuse himself. Uh, you know, just it never should have been allowed to happen. It was a huge mistake. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time know I was opposed to the appointment of a special counsel the whole time. From day one, I said, this is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Because I knew this is exactly what would happen. The special counsel would be created to look into Russia collusion and deal with the threat to our democracy. And then it would just be subpoena this, subpoena that, bring this person in, bring that person in, charge this one with lying, charge that one with tax fraud, charge that one with, you know, obstruction, whatever it is. It would just become a vessel for the Democrats to get vengeance via the legal system. And in doing so, I mean, these are the people that have been lecturing us about institutions and about they're the ones how can you take seriously that democrats have not politicized in ways that i don't even know if we'll ever be able to repair the federal justice system i mean this is we saw this folks we saw this with the way that the irs was used to go after conservative groups and everyone said oh well you know Maybe it was just a little just a little mistake, just a little whoopsie. No, it was much worse than that. There's no accountability there whatsoever. But they weaponize this state against citizens that, generally speaking, have problems with the state. And and here with this with the Supreme Court fight, you know, you can see that there this is all a means to an end. All these all these different prosecutions they're bringing. All these cases, everything that they're doing, they say it's about Russia collusion. They say it's about finding some, you know, formulation that will allow them to, uh, you know, to to go in front of the American people and say, well, you know, we've investigated uh, the Russia collusion with Trump and this is what we found. They're just looking to get stuff like this. They're trying to get Cohen on his taxi licenses or his taxes or his, his whatever and flip people and flip people. And, you know, yeah, do I think that Trump made a mistake by having some of these people around him? Sure. You know, do I think that when Scaramucci uh, met me in the green room at Fox News uh, way before Trump took office, he should have been like, hey, you, you're really smart and very ethical. I should actually make you like deputy White House press secretary. Yeah, they probably should have done something like that. I'm just saying I'm not going to be shy about it. I said, hey, Mooch, how can I help? Mooch, Mooch didn't want my help, so Mooch lasted five days or seven days or whatever it was. Mooch could have used my help, uh, but you know they brought in they, he brought in some very bad people. There's no question about it, and he had Cohen around him well before the campaign. But you know, people, I get it. People, they have an affinity for an individual, and you know, you know, you think you can trust somebody until you can't. Uh, but this whole thing about the Supreme Court, this is laughable. What, what constitutional basis is, well, we have some guy who's a convicted felon and a, an on-the-record liar who says that the president told him to do something illegal, so now he does is he not the president anymore? No, no, that's not how this works. You don't get to use an allegation to, uh, to take back a Supreme Court pick. And ultimately, these people are really, they're, they're all so worried about Roe v. Wade. You know, oh my gosh, what would, what would we do in a world where women just have to actually have their babies? How will how would Democrats face such a a daunting and horrific future? That's what keeps them up at night. That that everybody that, that babies get to live. I mean, this is Democratic Party is really sick. It it is. They got they have very 
deep-rooted problems. And they've, they've turned this anger on Trump. You know, there's no effort whatsoever to convince the American people that Democrats have any good ideas. Every time they try to talk about an idea, they sound like a bunch of idiots. Oh, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, free school, free this, free that. You know, going to do more, going to do more for minorities. Do what? Well, nothing. We're just, we're going to do more for them. Well, what does that even mean? Oh, stop asking so many questions. You must be racist. This is the entire opposition effort. This is what the Democratic Party's turned into. A bunch of little bureaucrat tyrants. They, they, they use the, and I know it's, yes, uh, look guys, I agree. It's a problem that you have Trump in power. But then again, look at what happens even though he's in power. You know, he's got people in the Department of Justice that hate him and he can't get rid of them. And if he did get rid of them, people would mutiny and they would freak out. You have these deep state elements, these leave behinds, most of mostly from the Obama administration, but some of them have been around for decades. They hate Trump. He can't get rid of them. And every time he tries to exert his constitutional executive authority, you get people, whether it's a some random federal judge or somebody else, you know, they, they come out and try to stop him and take away his constitutionally granted authority. I mean, the, the whole thing is just a mess. And I know that right now it's tough for some people to stand beside the president. But I, look, it's, for me, it's not really about Trump. It's about the agenda. It is not about the man. I don't really care about the man. He is there to serve a purpose. He is in a role. He has powers for a reason. As long as he is using those powers to ends that I agree with, and also, by the way, think are beneficial to all of us, are in the long run going to promote uh, wealth and, I mean, for all of us, as in the sense of prosperity and and better outcomes for the American people that will greater have greater respect for our freedom and our liberty and our individual dignity and rights. I'm supportive of it. All this other stuff, you know, the stuff with Stormy Daniels and Avenatti and the media, this, the whole thing is just such a circus. It's such a circus, and it's because the Democrats offer up nothing in response. We've so, we've seen now. We've had the we've run the experiment, folks. We've run the experiment, and Trump is better at the economy than Obama was. That's what's going on. We've run the experiment, and Trump understands business better than the leaders of the Democrat Party. That's it. They can they can say they want to fight against this. They can say that, you know, it's, oh, it's the Obama economy. That's all noise. Oh, and th- that we shouldn't have Trump appoint a Supreme Court justice. Why? This is ridiculous. But, I, you know, I worry. I think Jeff Flake is still on safari. I mean, I'm being, being serious. I think he's on safari. He was. And people are like, is he coming back? Meaning in time to vote? No one really knows. I think Bruce Orr is a disgrace. I suspect I'll be taking it away very quickly. I, I think that Bruce Orr is a disgrace with his wife, Nellie. For him to be in the Justice Department and to be doing what he did, that is a disgrace. That is disqualifying for Mueller. And Mr. Mueller has a lot of conflicts also, directly yourself, so you know that. Mr. Mueller is highly conflicted. In fact, uh, Comey is like his best friend. I could go into conflict after conflict. But sadly, Mr. Mueller is conflicted. But let him write his report. We did nothing. There's no collusion. 
But if he was doing an honest report, he'd write it on the other side. Because when you look at criminality and you look at problems, take a look at what they did, including colluding with the Russians, the other side. What was Bruce Orr doing? Right. You remember Bruce Orr was, I think, number four at the Department of Justice and very much involved in the dossier, Russia collusion and all that stuff. His name has popped up a bunch. You'll remember his wife, Nellie Orr, was actually an employee of Fusion GPS, which paid for and then manufactured uh, the dossier, sent helped pay and send it around. Right. All this stuff going on. So the big question is, what was Bruce Orr doing? And it is the one that our next guest addresses in her latest column. Kim Strassel is with us now. She's on the Wall Street Journal editorial board. She's a columnist, also the author of The uh, Intimidation Game. Kim, great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I just want to pose your question to you. So what the heck was Bruce doing? (laughs) Hi, hi Buck. Thanks for having me on. Um, Well, look, here's we know what he's doing. He was funneling information from Christopher Steele, uh, the obviously the author of the infamous dossier, from Christopher Steele to the FBI. And the reason that this matters is that the FBI had already terminated Christopher Steele as a confidential human source. He had broken all of the FBI's rules by talking to the press. And so they said, we can no longer work with you. And yet we now find that months after that happened, Bruce Orr, the senior member of the judiciary, is at, or is a, at the Justice Department is acting as an intermediary and, and sending information from Christopher Steele to the FBI. And he's doing that even though his wife works for uh, the same organization that Christopher Steele does. He obviously has a huge conflict of interest. Uh, he does not disclose this, at least not in his financial forms, and is so far as we know, not to his superiors. Um, and so that's an issue as well, too. Now, this would seem to me to be a case, uh, Kim, where we would already have a lot of answers here. Why haven't why haven't we heard more about this guy? I mean, the the conflict of interest just in in that his his wife was uh, look, I think we can all assume that he was talking to his wife a lot. Right. They lived together uh, and and she she helped bring this information to him. How can the FBI justify any of this or do we just not know what the FBI really says about it? Well, they haven't even tried to justify it. And I think because it's unjustifiable, and this is an important point I tried to make in the column, is that up until now, the FBI has continued to insist it did nothing wrong during 2016, despite you know everything that we know about what they did do, about using the dossier, not telling the court entirely about the dossier, uh, running informants into a presidential campaign. I mean, these are things that I think should be very troubling to anyone, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. But throughout that, they have insisted did nothing wrong. This clearly is problematic, Um, not just in terms of what Mr. Orr himself did uh, and the fact that he didn't disclose it, um, but that the FBI chose to use him. Because, again, remember, this informant program or source program that they had that Mr. Steele was part of that they were using, it's not some willy-nilly thing. It's got rules, guidelines, there's entire manual gathering, you know, governing who can be an informant to and a source for the FBI and what they need to do to maintain that status and what the agents handling them need to do. Um, And this was all disregarded, and the FBI went back to Bruce Orr uh, and and continued to obtain information from a, 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 a source that they had terminated for violating their own rules. 
what would happen here? What has to happen, Kim, for there to be accountability for how this was handled on the DOJ and FBI side? I, I mean, I, I put myself in this category. I think a lot of folks feel like, we, you know, this just this just drags on. It drags on, and you know, yes, okay. Struck was struck was fired. Uh, McCabe was fired. I mean, so, some people have clearly been fired. Are, are we ever going to get a comprehensive report on just what they did? I mean, the president's in power. He he should be able to direct the executive branch to produce the necessary documents, give us the information. Is it a function of waiting for the the Mueller probe to end? I mean, essentially, is the are the president's hands tied to try to get to the truth here and let the American people know what happened? Because anything that he does is going to be called meddling in the ongoing Mueller probe. What do you make of all that? Well, I think we can feel pretty confident that we are never going to get an internal house cleaning and a report and an admission of a problem from within DOJ or FBI. That is really, to me, very disappointing that you do have two new leaders there, Rod Rosenstein at the Department of Justice and Christopher Wray. Neither of them have shown an inkling of interest in saying, look, there is a problem here. We are looking into it. This is why so-and-so was fired. This is why so-and-so was moved out of their position, because remember, Nearly every part of that Comey inner circle has now either been fired or removed from their jobs or retired. Um, That is, to me, an admission that there was clearly a big problem and that internally they recognized it, but they have not come clean to the public. So the question then, I mean, we at the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal have been advocating every chance we have that the president uh, declassify many of these documents. It doesn't have to be a lot. There's a discrete number of them. Uh, We even went out and said, here are the ones that would provide the most information to the American public, Um, and at least to get that out there. And then, because I think the only other avenue we really have will be to wait for the inspector general's report, but that could be at least another year in coming. Now, Kim, I, I've got a theory I want to test out on you. And everybody, we're speaking to Kim Strassel, obviously of the Wall Street Journal. Her piece is, what was Bruce Orr doing? She tries to answer it, but the, uh, the, the short version is, wasn't good. Uh, so, so you should definitely all check that out. But Kim, here's my theory. Because people have asked me this. They say, how is it that you have some of these individuals at FBI and DOJ who seem like, and I'm not talking about the ones that have already been fired or under suspicion, but yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, Christopher Ray, for example, FBI director. How is it that these guys are also in on it? And I try to explain it to people this way. I think that if we really knew what happened at the top reaches of the DOJ and the FBI, I mean, if we really knew without, you know, the, the games and the redactions, if the American people found out the truth, they would have a very hard time thinking of the FBI, the DOJ, in the same way. And so even for those who are not necessarily anti-Trump or, you know, they weren't Hillary cronies, but people that are institutionalists that have spent a lot of time in those decades, in many cases, in those organizations, they feel like they have a duty to the greater good to protect those institutions from the, you know, the, the ire and the, the, the distrust for generations of the American people. What do you think about that? I think you've nailed it. This has long been my argument, too, that these folks are institutionalist. And I think part of it is what you describe, that they feel the need to protect the department or agency that they work for uh, to the extent that they are willing to overlook and even justify things that if they were on the outside, they would not. I think, too, it's also a bit of, and I, I use this word 
carefully, but but cravenness in that you and I both know if you work in an institution and you are surrounded by people on all sides that are saying, no, what we did was okay, it was okay, it was okay, it's very hard to break from that pack to go and, and basically infuriate everybody who works for you and works with you and around you. And so I just don't think you have the, the test of leadership there. And remember, neither Rod Rosenstein nor Christopher Ray were necessarily chosen for those reasons. If you look at the rest of the Bush or Bush, the Trump cabinet, um, they were chosen as reformers, people who were going to come out inside and really shake things up. But Rod Rosenstein and Christopher Ray both came in under somewhat of a, a hurried and duress process um, where they weren't necessarily vetted because they were going to clean house. They were vetted as a, a safe choice that would be easily confirmable by the Senate in the middle of that entire rush that surrounded the whole supposed Russia scandal. Kim, just before we let you go here, uh, what do you think Mueller's motivation is? I know I'm kind of asking you to look into a man's mind. You know, nobody can do that. But do, do you think do you think he's a partisan along the lines of some of these others that clearly I mean, anyone who tells me that Strucker McCabe, that they aren't partisans, they didn't abuse their office. I just can't take that argument seriously anymore. Do you think Mueller just views it as he has to almost mechanically go through literally every nook and cranny of the investigation, just go through everything he can, uh, because that's the only way the American people will have faith in the system? Or do you think he's actually he's anti-Trump? I mean, do you think this is this is a witch hunt? He knows it and he's down for that. I think he's something almost as concerning as a partisan. He's a lawyer (laughs) and, you know, a a prosecutor. And and look, this is one of the problems with special counsels is nobody wants to go in and spend two years of their life and say, I didn't get anything in the end. Right. And, And this is always the issue with a special counsel is that they do not feel as though they have done their duty or their job unless they come out of it having bagged someone, someone big preferably, because they feel that was their mission. Um, and, and we've seen that again and again and again. And so far, Mr. Mueller has done a pretty decent job of unraveling uh, what clearly was an effort by Russians to engage in some small-time disruption uh, and chaos sowing here in the United States, trolling on social media, uh, et cetera, and so on. It's great that he did that. But I don't think he necessarily ever viewed that really as his job. I think it's a noble job that he'd done that. But remember, he was more specifically tasked with looking into Mr. Trump and, and having come up completely short on that front in terms of collusion and obstruction of justice. It seems he's just not willing to let it go. Kim Strassel, everybody, of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, the one and only. Kim, thank you so much for making the time. Always great to have you stop by the Freedom Hut. Thank you. Could I just take one opportunity to remind everyone that Michael Cohn has suffered a tragic and difficult experience with his family. He's without resources, and we've set up a website called MichaelCohnTruth.com that we're hoping that he will get some help from the American people so he can continue to tell the truth. The audience, they don't know if you're ready to donate, Lanny, but we did check before we went to air. It's got $70,000 in it so far. And listen, we appreciate you coming on. I I would say the reaction of your audience may be that they're not as interested in getting the truth out about Donald Trump as uh, many other people in the country. Approximately 60% of the country would not have the reaction of your audience. Okay. By the way, I I overstated it's 20,000. It's not 70,000. But, you know, for Cohen's. Hope, hope springs eternal, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I suppose so. Folks, I, I don't know what to make of this now, that, that we live in a country where e- even people who are, are villains and rich villains at that think that they should set up a GoFundMe page. Like, hey, hey, will you, uh, you know, will, will you give me some money? You got anything for me? What is that all about? Uh, you know, what? What is that? what are we supposed to make of that? And this is crazy. I mean, Cohen is rich. Cohen has made millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, he's now asking people, um, he's asking people to give him cash so that he can pay his legal bills because everybody realizes right now uh, that Cohen is trying to get on the, you know, he's hoping the door is going to be open to him to be a hero of the resistance the way McCabe and Strzok and some of these others are. And, you know, what, what, what you end up finding from that is that at least those guys, yes, they were deep state and they were bad and they were, oh my gosh, producer Mike just let me know, Strzok is up to $442,000. Four hundred and forty-two thousand right now in his GoFundMe account. So I, I guess you know Cohen just has no shame at all about this, and he's like, "Yeah, let me, let me just go for it here. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- request more money." Look, I will say this though: even if you're rich, federal prosecution, you, you will, you will blow through a fortune like it's nothing. Um, I've, had, I have some friends who are. Uh, very expensive. Uh, one one friend in particular is a very expensive criminal defense attorney. It's like the sometimes he actually had a client. He told me this once, you know, without breaking any confidentiality. But a client who basically decided, look, I'm going to take a I'm going to take a deal, not because I'm guilty, but because I don't want to go bankrupt, and I'm only facing you know like six or twelve months or something, and doesn't didn't want to lose all of his money in his house and everything because it wasn't worth it to him. And that's what people, and he had been fighting for a while, and, you know, they offered him a deal and was going to go to trial, and he said, finally, all right, I'll take the deal. Because he knew if he went to trial, he's going to go bankrupt. Now, I don't think Cohen's about to go bankrupt. I just think it's funny, though, that, you know, Lanny Davis is out there with Cohen now trying to turn him into some kind of a reformed guy when, when wait, McCabe has raised over 500000 My gosh. Folks, the people... You know, you know, I always tell you how the left takes care of their own. Now they're doing it in the open via GoFundMe accounts. If you are a deep state uh, petty tyrant who used your political power or used your government authority to try to take down Trump, there are now people who will just will actually throw money, throw money to you. They'll just give you money. I mean, this is like an after-the-fact bribe, in a sense, right? McCabe and Strzok. I mean, they're they're getting paid for their their ill deeds, and now Cohen wants to get in on that too. I also see here they're in, they're subpoenaing. Uh, New York State has subpoenaed Cohen and Trump Foundation. They're just trying to pile on New, New York State. All all the New York State legal apparatus just wants to uh, wants to pander to the Democrat base. And do everything they can to look like they're trying to get in on the on the takedown of Trump as well. So nothing here, I think, that's all that significant. But they they are looking to go after Trump Foundation. They're going to go after everything, folks. This is just going to be 
This is the way they're going to oppose Trump. They can't beat him on policy. They can't beat him on substance. So they're just going to use the law to bludgeon this administration into, you know, inefficiency one way or another. New York's Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo even declared that America was never great. Oh, I see. Okay. Tell that to our great soldiers at World War One, World War Two, Korean War, so many others. Tell them to the folks that sent a rocket up to the moon and our great astronauts. Tell them to all of the great medical research we've done in this country. And he says America was never great. I would imagine that's career-threatening, right? I would imagine. How do you get away with that one? You know, the president raises there the point of uh, Andrew Cuomo saying that America was never great. And he says, you know, that should be career-threatening. But as I've told you, no, for Democrats, that's pretty, pretty standard to denigrate America and its past and to view it as in, in its totality, in the aggregate, a negative thing is common among a lot of progressives. Uh, remember, this is also what what Obama was supposed to do for the left wing mind was to begin the the healing of America, the, the change of America to a. Remember, the, the fundamental transformation of the country, that was what he promised. I'm not, I'm not putting words in his mouth. That was what President Obama said, the fundamental transformation of the country. Why would you want to fundamentally transform a thing that had been the greatest, freest, most prosperous, most benevolent ever? Wouldn't you just want to keep that going and the trajectory and the general direction it's already been going? No, Obama promised fundamental transformation and Trump is, in many ways, a corrective to Obamaism, which we are seeing now with the economy, which we are seeing uh, with how prosperous things are. By the way, they hate the fact that this country is doing so well economically right now. They hate it. Because what does that say about Obama and all of his advisors? Oh, they're all supposed to be so smart, right? Geithner and Axelrod and Jared and all these people around him. Oh, they're all so brilliant. They know how to run an economy. No, they don't. The Obama administration didn't know how to run a lemonade stand when it came to economics, when it came to free enterprise and entrepreneurship. They think that big established players are great because they donate to Dem- they tend to donate to Democrats, right? Big government and uh, big companies go hand in fan- hand in hand, big business. Uh, but they don't like the fact that the economy is doing so well. And uh, Maria Bartiromo was making the case, I would note, that we're in uncharted territory here because everyone's thinking, wow, the economy feels really good, but also it feels like it might even get better. Play 18. And I think that's really the key, the resilience of it, because this rally that we've seen in stock prices is based on real fundamentals. It's based on earnings growth, economic growth. You know, for a time, it was based on the Federal Reserve and cheap money, because you know that the Federal Reserve basically went to zero on interest rates after the financial crisis. It was all on the Fed to take us out of that financial crisis in 2007. Uh, But it did. Rates were low. It helped things come back. And then it was all about the corporate sector. Corporate sector. Oh, you mean like a like a corporate tax cut, for example, could spur growth and investment, innovation and hiring? Oh, my gosh. It's almost like the stuff that conservatives have been saying forever. It's almost like the GOP on some of these economic issues is based 
in what works, not in what, what not in what feels good to say, which is a very important difference you have with the with the uh, Democrats on a whole host of things. Uh, Trump, by the way, is not is not backing down or backing off when it comes to China and tariffs. You know, he's he is taking on some of these tough problems economically, despite the fact that, you know, he's just they're coming at him from every direction and all this Russia collusion nonsense. Here, here's what Trump had to say last night about China and, and tariffs. Play three. When China makes a car, they sell it into the United States. There's two and a half percent tariff of which they don't pay. So they pay nothing. That is a wonderful deal. When we make a car, we sell it into China, and there's a 25% tariff, and that's just the beginning. There's others. We are a country with unbelievable potential. We are a country that has been ripped off by everybody. And we're not going to be ripped off anymore. And if it takes me... A little angst to tell senators and congressmen and all of the people that really do have your your heart in their hands in many cases. Sometimes I wonder where they're coming from with these suggestions. But it's going to have to take that little period of time. With that being said, we're moving so fast, nobody could even believe it. And every country wants to make a deal. Deals are getting made, folks. The economy is booming. The left hates it because Trump was supposed to be a disaster. Remember, it's not that they said he would just be coasting on what they're now calling the Obama economy, which is a pathetic rewrite of of reality and of history. But they said that he would be terrible. He would be a terrible steward of the economy. He would uh, mess everything up for us. Uh, But uh, then there's also the so there's the economy, which Trump and the Republicans are, are winning on right now. No question. Then there's also immigration. These are the two main reasons why I think it's not a done deal for the Democrats in the midterms yet. It's not a done deal. I'm not saying it's not going to be an uphill climb. Uh, first, the, the fact that Democrats transitioned so quickly from family separation at the border as an issue that they were just they were pounding that issue, even after the administration conceded and said, we'll do something to fix this. They kept pounding it. You know, it's all about scoring political points, even after the problem had was being addressed. Uh, but even after that happened. They couldn't help themselves but to start calling for the abolition of ICE, which is just crazy. Play five. The new platform of the Democrat Party is to abolish ICE. A vote for any Democrat in November is a vote to eliminate immigration enforcement, throw open our borders, and set loose vicious predators and violent criminals while... Many Democrats are calling to abolish ICE. Today, our brave ICE officers successfully carried out a 14-year-old deportation order against a Nazi criminal who was living in New York. You know the way that was reported, folks? A Nazi prison guard, an actual Nazi prison guard, right? Not not somebody that voted Republican a couple of years ago. I mean, a, a, a Nazi Nazi. Because you know, they say everybody now who's they're calling the left is calling everybody they don't like a Nazi these days. I, I mean, a a part of the Third Reich Nazi was living in New York and Trump and the administration sent him back to face justice in Germany. He was deported after 75 years being in this country. And the media narrative on that one was, oh, Trump, you know, Trump uses this issue to pounce. Oh, yes. Conservatives pounce. One of the favorite 
ways of saying overreach that uh, Democrats have in their in their papers and, and on TV. Uh, and then there's the issue of the wall. Play clip four. We're getting the wall built. It's going up. We're getting it built. So we have 3.2 billion. We're looking for 5 billion this year. And all of a sudden it's going to be finished and it's going to be very, very effective. You heard about today with the illegal alien coming in very sadly from Mexico. And you saw what happened to that incredible, beautiful young woman. We've had a huge impact, but the laws are so bad. The immigration laws are such a disgrace. We're getting them changed, but we have to get more Republicans. Let's hear what Democrats have to say about that terrible murder at the hands of an illegal alien in Iowa. I've got some of that coming up for you. Stay with me. It's absolutely essential that you have a home security system that gives you peace of mind and that you feel like you're in full control of and you get great customer service as well as round-the-clock monitoring to make sure you, your family, and all your stuff is safe. Simply Safe is the best bet for all of this, my friends. There's a reason that Simply Safe has become now valued at a billion dollars. I mean, this is a major company because they understand this business backwards and forwards and they do a great job. I have a Simply Safe system at home. It is so intuitive and user-friendly. It takes minutes to set it up. Once you get going, you can download an app to your smartphone control everything, monitor everything remotely. And oh, by the way, if your Wi-Fi goes down in your home, your Simply Safe keeps working. If your power goes out, your Simply Safe keeps working. Monitor for fire, theft, water damage, gas, all kinds of protection for you and no contract. SimplySafe.com slash buck. Again, SimplySafe.com slash buck. I want to get one last question in here because it is a story, a very important story in the news. It has to do with Molly Tibbetts, the young woman in Iowa who was murdered, her body believed to be found yesterday. A person has been charged with it. This person is an undocumented immigrant. Um, Mike Pence and the president have suggested the immigration laws need to be stronger so that people like this man who was accused of this murder were not in the country. Your reaction? You know, my, I'm so sorry for the family here, and I know this is hard, not only for the family, but for the people in her community, the people throughout Iowa. Um, but. One of the things we have to remember is we need an immigration system that is effective, that focuses on where real problems are. Uh, Last month, I went down to the border and I saw where children had been taken away from their mothers. I met with those mothers who had been lied to, who didn't know where their children were, who hadn't had a chance to talk to their children. And there was no plan for how they would be reunified with their children. I think we need immigration laws that focus on people who pose a real threat. And I don't think mamas and babies are the place that we should be spending our resources. Separating a mama from a baby does not make this country safer. What a disgrace Senator Elizabeth Warren is. What a disgrace. I'm not surprised. But even though I I expect uh, just a, a degree of just disgusting commentary from her, even even though I would expect that she would pander and put politics above any uh, common decency in her analysis of this. That was a particularly galling interview. I mean, I I, I was taking just some notes there uh, as as we played the audio, so I, I can quote directly. She said that she was so sorry, and then she wanted to talk about the community 
And then she wanted to talk about Iowa. Fine. Then the but comes. But we need an effective immigration policy. And we need to focus on, quote, real problems. End quote. I'm pretty sure that it gets that it doesn't get any more real than a a, a a wonderful young woman going for a jog being murdered in her hometown in a part of the country that violence is a rarity. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that's as real as it can possibly get in the problem realm. That's not what Elizabeth Warren thinks, of course immediately wants to turn around and start talking about a different issue at the border. You see, this is what they do. This is their whataboutism. This is when they can't defend something, so they want to talk about some other part of it. All right? You and I can have a real discussion about immigration. Yes, if you cut back on immigration, are there some great people that aren't going to come into the country? Yes. Is that, does that mean that you don't want to do it? Not necessarily. You might want to make that trade-off, right? Conservatives... Understand that there are trade-offs in life, and we are honest about that. Liberals live in this fantasy land of everything they think is amazing and there's no cost to it. I had uh, Melania Trump's family's immigration lawyer on my show earlier in the week, and I just got sick of all the talking points from him. So he's saying, you know, immigrants are amazing, blah, all the, you know, look at all the companies they found and all this stuff. I said, okay, that's fine, but what about illegals? Oh, we shouldn't call them illegal, call them undocumented. No, no, not playing that game. They're illegals. That's what the federal law calls them. That's what I will call them. They're in the country illegally. If you're going to call somebody a criminal for a campaign finance violation, for example, I think you should call somebody a criminal for being in the country when they are in violation of federal law every day they're in the country. But when I asked him, why not 10 million illegals? If illegals have no downside, if illegal aliens only bring great things to this country, doing the jobs Americans won't do, if they're better than us, why should we even have any caps or, or any enforcement? They say, oh, we're not open borders. You know, we're, we're expelling people. We're, we're sending people back. All right, well, is that bad? Do we only send people back who are here illegally who break the law in addition to their illegal status? If that's the case, I'd like to know, well, then why don't we just let in everybody who wants to come? And unless you break the law, you get to stay. What is the breaking point, folks? What's too many? We're at 11 million illegals, they say. I think the number is much higher than that. I think the common sense tells you the number is much higher than that. But they won't even admit that there's a possible downside to this. So how can we have an adult? How can we have a serious discussion about it? The answer is I, I just I frankly don't know. I don't know. Um. That's not really their purpose, though. Their purpose is demagoguery. They're the ones that want to bring in, you know, the needy, the women and children and take care of them and clothe them with with your money, by the way, with, you know, the taxpayer footing the bill as much as possible. Oh, I know. I hear that they don't get welfare. These these are all half truths or mistruths or untruths. This is not this is not not reality. Um, But when Elizabeth Warren is faced with. The reality of what happens when you have sanctuary city policies in place, when you have millions of illegal immigrants in the immigrants in the country, you will have situations where people are killed. And this has happened thousands of times over the years. People are killed by illegal immigrants 
And we're not allowed to think of that as a cost of illegal immigration. Why? Someone explain. If, if, we're, if we can look at what happens when our southern border is intentionally overwhelmed by people trying to find a way to come into the country that is not legal, but that exploits gray areas and loopholes you know, to, to, try to, to try to beat the system. That's what they're trying to... The, the people that are showing at the border claiming asylum, saying that they come from a, they, they come from a country where there are too many gangs... That's that's beating the system. That's not really what we have in mind with asylum practice. That's not really what we have in mind with our refugee programs. But if we can look at what's going on there and say, okay, well, we shouldn't separate families. And if Elizabeth Warren's going to demagogue that point, what about the fact that Molly Tibbetts has been separated from her family forever? Not temporarily, not a few days, not a few weeks, forever. And she was brutally murdered. Is that a cost? Why is it we're only allowed to hear about the valedictorian dreamers? This kid was a dreamer. I have a woman coming on my show uh, tomorrow on, on Rising who is a, an angel mom. And her son was viciously beaten to death and set on fire by a dreamer. So, you know... They can either make a policy argument, as far as I'm concerned, that bringing people or allowing people to stay in the country, abetting lawlessness, rewarding lawbreaking, that that's a good thing for us, or right, or they can deal with the reality that for every story that they want to tell about somebody who's doing great stuff, who's a dreamer, it's completely within the realm of, of, of acceptable discourse— it's an, a necessary counterpoint, even, to say, well, what about the illegals who are in the country who are part of MS-13 and murder people and ruin communities? And what about that? What about them? They're a part of this whole process, too. But there's a, 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 a lack of, of any honesty from Democrats on this, as well as so many other issues these days. But I, I thought that, that was really that was a, even for Warren. That was pretty amazing. Real problems, she says. We've got to focus on real problems. I, I doubt she would have said that if uh, the Tibbetses were in the room. Although, I mean, although I don't know, it's Elizabeth Warren. She is utterly shameless. Just a, a pandering, complete phony. You know, very wealthy, very cushy positions that she's maneuvered herself into by playing the game, doing whatever she has to do. And now she wants to play the social justice warrior and the one who cares so much about illegals. It's... You know, I, I can tell you this. Her kid doesn't go to a school that's overrun with English as a second language and lots of illegals everywhere. I'm just telling you. That's I, I'm making a I don't even know if she has kids. I'm just guessing. But it's not her problem. It's not her problem. That much is for sure. For decades, credit cards have been telling us buy it now and pay for it later with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control fast. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high-interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow. Pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash buck. 
Check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com slash Buck. LendingClub.com slash Buck. All loans made by WebBank. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. This is not working because the Republican Party has not stood up to this president not once. So even if there is a guilty verdict from Manafort, even though Cohen has turned himself in, the fact that he was even sworn in as president after the Access Hollywood tape, let me know for a fact that the Republican Party is actually not working on behalf of the American people. They are working on behalf of Donald Trump. And he's been able to bully them into their silence. And I don't think that today changes much, unfortunately. I'm sure we'll hear what he has to say about uh, this at his, his rally. But Fox News is talking about, you know, a girl in Iowa and not this, mm-hmm. right? And tomorrow morning, we know he'll wake up and tweet and sort of, you know, bes- a girl in Iowa, she says. A girl in Iowa. Yeah. Why, why would why would they just talk about some random girl in Iowa? Oh, that's right. That that uh, MSNBC political analyst was referring to uh, Molly Tibbetts. So this is where I am reminded, folks, once again, that the left is not just delusional, but also really unfeeling, really cold in how they approach their hashtag resistance to Trump, right? There, there's something uh, deeply wrong with them. I mean, on an emotional, on a psychological level, where it, it, all, all that matters is attacking Trump. All that matters is coming up with some way of uh, humiliating this president or his advisors or people around him or who supported, for him, uh, supported him. And the the basic human decency that we would all expect in a situation like this, uh, when you have a girl who was brutally murdered by an illegal alien, uh, you would expect that commentators would go on TV and at least be respectful to the situation. But no, they, they don't really feel that need. They don't really feel an obligation because for them, this is this is all or nothing. If it takes down Trump, it must be good. If it is in any way, even in the short term, helpful to Trump or not not damaging enough to Trump, then it must indeed be bad. This is how they approach everything. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to be uh, going to a a a book opening or book party for Ann Coulter uh, later on this evening, and I was able to just thumb through her book. I have a copy of it here, and uh, I think we're we're having Ann on radio tomorrow. Uh, and she'll also be on Rising. So Anne's really making the rounds right now. But the opening chapter in her book is uh, is uh, Trump is worse than... She's obviously kidding. She's very funny. The opening chapter in her book is called Trump is Worse Than Hitler Times Infinity. And it's a great opening to the book because that's that's a pretty good description of the liberal mindset right now. That Trump is the worst, most destructive human being ever. When in reality... the country's actually doing great uh the economy is is booming by any by any objective measure it, trust me if the economy wasn't booming you'd be hearing whatever thing wasn't going well you'd hear about that constantly on, on tv but also that the trump is in many ways uh, governing as a as a moderate a moderate republican at least yeah he backs down when these ninth circuit judges come up with these completely cockamamie rulings and decide that they're going to uh, replace executive authority with their own whims. And for all of this, they, they, they still think that Trump is somehow worse than Hitler times infinity, to borrow from Anne. 
You cannot reason with these people. You, you cannot find a way to, to, to catch some kind of a middle ground with them. They are on a mission. And, and it really does speak to how Trump has upended their sense of their own importance and their own virtue. You know, we often talk about virtue signaling here. It's something that progressives do. They like to show each other, and in their minds, the rest of the world, or at least the world that matters, how moral and good they are. They really feel this need. I'm always of the mind that moral people just act morally and don't expect any praise or recognition for it and don't feel the need to shout it from the rooftops constantly or or on social media, as the case may be. But one of the things that Trump has done is he has, in a very public way and from a very powerful pulpit, challenged some of these concepts uh, that liberals hold dear for the purposes of virtue signaling. Uh, they they really do believe themselves to be the party of of the, the smart people and the nice people and, and truth. Uh, and when Trump, for example, says that their beloved fake news is in fact fake, that really upsets them because they watch it every night, thinking that in the in the feedback loop that is uh, the left wing news cycle. And look, conservative news too. See, let me just take a little digression here. I'm not saying that there isn't conservative news and there's not a feedback cycle there, too. But conservatives know what they are watching is coming from a center-right perspective, except that what they're watching comes from a center-right perspective, and also understand that all the other stuff out there is left to far left. I don't watch, uh, you know, I I don't watch a, a Fox News show and think to myself, well, like, this is exactly neutral. No. And if we're talking about the opinion shows, I'm watching conservatives who are on air, who are who share my values and are taking a similar point of view to me. Right. Liberals watch CNN. They watch Anderson Cooper and they think this is just the truth. This is just what matters. This is just journalism. They're they're delusional. But that is, in fact, what they that is, in fact, what they think. And by Trump coming out and really making headway in this argument against them. And it's not just on that, right? It's also on, you know, it's also on the the legacy of Obamaism, which is a lot of social justice ideology wrapped into big government. You know, that that whole approach to governance was bad for the economy, created a lot of misery and was really wrong. And people who supported that and felt so good about themselves for supporting it don't like to see that this brash billionaire, Donald Trump, can come kind of busting in on the political scene and do a much better job than Obama, who was their their savior. So so they are angry at Trump because politics is deeply personal for progressives because they view it as a means of enhancing their own personal brands all the time. And then also there's the issue of. For the left. Politics is a religion. For the right, when we're when we're doing it properly, uh, when we're not getting ahead of ourselves or getting uh, you know jumping the shark, politics is about a governing approach. Politics is about philosophy and what works best in society to order people and their rights and protect individual dignity. Uh, but it's not about this is my only reason for being. Uh, and I think liberals need to take a long look in the mirror for why is it that 
for them, a challenge to their political beliefs is like an existential challenge to their very core. Is Sweden going to the far right? Here's a story you probably won't hear getting much attention elsewhere, if any. Sweden, often pointed to as what liberals aspire to for America, right? Liberals here will say that they want democratic socialism along the lines of what they have in Sweden. Sometimes they'll say Denmark or Norway, uh, but Sweden tends to be number one on that list. But Sweden is not what it used to be. Very uh, troubling ways. It's not nearly as safe as it used to be, based on the statistics. And it has brought in, as you probably have heard and read, many hundreds of thousands of refugees, uh, particularly from the Muslim world, in the last uh, couple of decades. And they're having an election coming up in Sweden, and the Swedish TV channel did a a, a compilation of some stats. And what they found is that 60% of the men, I'm sorry, 58%, so just shy of 60%, 58% of men convicted of rape or attempted rape in Sweden. Now, keep in mind, this does not include reports of a rape where, or, or, or someone was charged, or where someone was charged and not convicted. So, but, but almost 60% of men convicted of rape or attempted rape over the last five years were foreigners. And of that uh, population, you're talking about almost all of it from the middle, foreign-born from uh, the Middle East and North Africa and um, South Asia. O- almost all of it. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Buck, well, to put this in, in a real context, what is the popul- What is the percentage of Sweden? So, so almost all of the 60% of foreign-born convicted rapists are from Muslim-majority countries. I'm just, these are the statistics from Swedish TV. They're equivalent to the BBC. I'm not, I'm, I'm just going with what's, what's right, right in front of me. By the way, reported by the BBC, okay? So the, this is, you know, people can get all crazy with me and yell at me for this, but This is the BBC compiling Swedish TV information. Uh, And 60%, let's call it, so I don't have to keep saying 58%, I know I keep going back and forth, um, are are foreign-born Muslims in Sweden uh, that that were guilty, found guilty of rape. And 8% of Sweden is Muslim overall. So the percentage of the population, and that's the entire Muslim population of Sweden. So the percentage of the population that is uh, Muslim and and foreign-born that would fall into this category of the last five years is even smaller than that. So let's call it roughly 5% or 6% of the population has been responsible for almost 60% of the rapes in this country of over uh, about uh, about. 15 million people, I think. So you have to think of it also in the context that this is like the size of a pretty decent-sized U.S. state. You know, this is not uh, a massive country like Germany or France in terms of population. And the total number of offenders we're talking about here was about 843, with 197 from the Middle East and North Africa, 45 from Afghanistan. Uh, These are people who were given refugee status, folks. 
these are refugees who then go on to commit rapes. That's what is happening in Sweden. And that's what we're talking about here in these statistics. Now, there are two ways to approach this as a policy matter. The liberal way, our, meaning our liberals, I, don't, I can't speak to Swedish domestic politics. I assume everybody's pretty much liberal, but the, the liberal American approach to this kind of an issue would be to, to one, I, I guess there are a few ways they might do it, actually. There are a few liberal ways and there's one conservative way. Uh, but they might try to just ignore it, which is what's going on in Sweden, I would note, until recently. It's getting harder and harder for them to ignore this stuff, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want this to become a part of public discourse. So that's one option that they might go with. The other one is to say, and this is this mirrors what goes on in this country with the immigration debate and and uh, Molly Tibbetts, and, is to say, okay, well, maybe something really bad did happen because, or d- bad things do happen because of either illegal immigrants or refugees or whatever it may be, illegal aliens. But it's not fair to the rest of them, meaning not fair to the rest of the illegals or the refugees or the non-citizens in the country to judge them all based on the actions of the few. Okay, that's I can that's an, an argument. That's a, a real position, a real good faith argument. I can I can understand that. And then there's another way to go, though. What if the citizens of a country say we don't want a a dramatic increase in rapes in our country or, or assaults in our country, no matter how many wonderful other people it brings in. So that is to say, you know, you you, you are not a bad person if you live in a town. And I saw one of my uh, friends, uh, Brian Suits, on radio actually made this point via Twitter. I thought it was interesting. He says, if you live near a prison, right, and the prison is, is everything is fine with that prison, but once a year an inmate breaks out and hacks a family of a four to death with an axe on on his way to to breaking free. And you are upset because that one family of four each year, a new family of four gets hacked to death by one. If the prison comes out to you and says, well, you know, it's only one a year. Would that be OK? Would you be a bad person? Because in your community, you would say, I, I don't want to suffer these casualties. Even if they're not that many, I want zero casualties. I, one would think that this this could be a, a reasonable policy position, not based on a, a problem with anyone's ethnicity or skin color, which is what of, of this always turns into that discussion for the left, but just because you, you don't want to be importing the problems of the third world into your country, which is what's going on in Europe with some pretty horrific effects in in many cases. Not in all cases, not even a majority of cases, but enough cases that it is forcing a shift in political discussion such that in Sweden right now, folks, the far right party in Sweden may actually win this upcoming election. Um, This, you know, people are, are thinking that the migrant problem, such as it is, may mean that the the far right uh, social democrats party uh, in Sweden may in fact be getting 30% of the vote which is more than double this is the expectation for the upcoming uh, Swedish parliamentary election but it, which is on September 9th by the way uh, but that would be double more than double what they got before the migrant surge 
Sweden, by the way, economically is doing well. Unemployment is low. It's uh, people always say it's ranked in one of the, you know, the, the happiest countries in the world to live. So why would you have this swing toward the far right? Which who knows? I mean, I need to look into what the far right even is like in Sweden, but it's just immigration, folks. So a country that's incredibly progressive, full of democratic socialists like Sweden, is surging to the right for one reason, one reason only, and it's immigration. And in this country, we're told that if you have any qualms whatsoever about nearly unrestricted illegal immigration into the country or poorly restricted, you know, however they want to phrase it, illegal immigration in the country, you're, you're a bad person, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, all of these things. Uh, meanwhile, the most progressive country on the planet is swinging to the right because they're dealing with these problems and they just don't want to deal with them anymore. The government can tell everybody that it's fine, but people know it's not fine and they just don't want to deal with it. So as much as government can try to jam these progressive multiculturalist policies down the throats of a Swedish voter or the American voter, we all can come to our own conclusions about how much unrestricted immigration from the third world we really want. And in Sweden, the answer is a lot of them don't want any more of it. You need a little boost to help you get through the day, to help you push through that long afternoon or get things started early in the a.m. You want to go with a veteran-owned, operated, and founded company that'll give you all of that energy you need. Strikeforce. Strikeforce Energy comes in four different flavors. It is delicious. I've got a couple of the pump models on my desk so that whenever I just need a little zap, a little extra something, I can just put a squeeze of Strike Force into water. I actually like it a lot in iced tea because it's got a little bit of sweetness to it. So take an unsweetened iced tea, put a little Strike Force energy into it. Lemon goes great with this. And it is a delicious way to give you that little extra boost. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, use promo code BUCK. That'll get you a packet sent for Every packet you buy to military members overseas, that's StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code B-U-C-K, StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code BUCK, and they'll deliver one for everyone you buy to a service member at home or abroad. Thank you, Sarah. Michael Cohen under oath pleaded guilty to, among things, paying Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal during the campaign. And he says he did it at the direction of the president of the United States. Did President Trump commit a crime? Uh, as the president said, we've stated many times he did nothing wrong. There are no charges against him. Um, and we've commented on this extensively. Then why not report these payments? Uh, again, uh, I'm not going to get into the back and forth details. I can tell you, as the president has stated on numerous occasions, he did nothing wrong. There are no charges against him in this. Uh, and just because Michael Cohen uh, made a plea deal doesn't mean that that implicates the president on anything. Can you John? here today and say the president has never lied to the American people? Because so many people now look back at that tape of him on Air Force One saying he knew nothing about these payments, when in fact we now know he knew everything about these payments. So has he lied? Look, again, I think that's... That's a ridiculous accusation. The president in this matter has done nothing wrong, and there are no charges against him. John? Uh, the president said to Fox News... And- so I see journalists think of themselves now as the truth police. The truth police. That's a, an interesting way for them to position themselves, especially after many, many years of not just covering for the lines of politicians that they like, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh, But also engaging in all kinds of uh, misdirection and deception with regard to their own agenda. 
If you view modern journalism as leftist dominated and full of lies, and that means you're paying attention and you understand what's going on, then you have a very hard time hearing from all these people who work at news organizations where they will look you in the face and say, we are not biased in any way. We are not pro-Democrat at CBS. We are not pro-Democrat at CNN. We are not, they really, and, and all these newspapers, you know, you know, 300 of them or whatever it was, write the same editorial and are all taking the same line, but they still think somehow they're, they're you know, independent and just speaking truth to power. And they still believe their own line of crap. They really do. But if they're going to be the truth police, you know, there are some things, there are some questions that I want answers to. Like, where was the truth police hammering the White House in every way they possibly could under the Obama administration when we were told this whopper of a lie? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor under the reform proposals that we put forward. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep it. If you like the plan you have, you can keep it. If you like the doctor you have, you can keep your doctor too. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you will be able to keep your health care plan, period. If you like your doctor, you'll be able to keep your doctor. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. If you've got health insurance, you like your doctor, you like your plan, you can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Now, I understand that this, this is when, when liberals start screaming, what aboutism, what aboutism? But that lie, which those were all different instances. Every time you heard Obama saying that, those were different points when he was in public giving speeches with an adoring fawning media all around him uh, you know, we were told that obama was basically our our savior and that he was better than us too that we weren't we weren't really uh we weren't really up to up to par for what what obama was bringing to this country and he was really there to fix the the faults of this country that was part of the narrative uh but that lie really mattered to people because that was a specific issue in the Obamacare fight that they knew they knew they would have had opposition and the Democrats would not have been able to get that bill through if people knew that they might lose their health care plan, that that could be a deal breaker. And so the decision to lie there and it was a lie. There was no way. And this was based on all of the the internal preparation and research that they did or rather that the different special interest groups who came together to write this bill for the Democrats, uh, they decided that this was the way it was going to be, and they needed Obama out there to pitch this idea to make sure that the American people would, at least enough of the American people, would go along with it, that the Democrats would have some cover, and that they would jam through the largest uh, entitlement program in in decades, uh, which, has, as everyone knows, it's a disaster because they can't even let us deal with the full weight of it. Uh, they keep delaying it, right? They keep on doing everything possible that, so that their constituents don't really have to deal with Obamacare. And that's not the only major lie. I mean, that, we also have this one. Who, who remembers this one? 
is in fact what it began spontaneously in Benghazi uh, as a reaction to what had transpired some hours earlier in Cairo, where, of course, as you know, uh, there was a violent protest outside of our embassy mm -hmm. uh, sparked by this uh, hateful video. You know, just before I get into how that was such an obvious lie and that Hillary, as we know from the email to her daughter when she was Secretary of State, knew it was a terrorist attack right away. Anybody who wasn't a complete moron in the government that was uh, had any access whatsoever knew this was a terrorist attack right away. But they had to change the narrative because it was right before people were going to cast votes. And Obama, who was so weak on foreign policy, such a... a panderer to the rest of the globe, Obama was going to, had this whole story about how he had destroyed al-Qaeda, you know, Bin Laden was dead, General Motors was alive, and then there's a terrorist attack on the anniversary of 9-11 that kills a U.S. ambassador and three other brave Americans serving abroad. That's a bad look. So they had to come up with something else. Oh, it was just, you know, protests, and, and that was a lie. They knew it was a lie. And not only did they know it was a lie, but Candy Crowley, if you will recall, at the debate when this came up with Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, lied for Obama in a way that may have actually turned the election. I mean, it definitely hurt Romney in a profound way because Romney kicked Obama's butt in that first debate. Just, just took him to town. I mean, took him to school. The second debate, though, all of a sudden, Candy Crowley, oh, he, he did call it a terrorist attack. Candy Crowley comes in, of course, to save Obama, and, you know, there you have it. You know, you had Democrats lying on major things, journalists covering for them. And now I'm not saying that I don't think Trump ever has lied. Of course, I think Trump has lied about things. I'm just saying I can't be made to care enough about Trump's lies to want to give up all of the wins and all the benefits for this country that we have had because he's president. They keep thinking if they can get us to admit that he lied, then everything else will fall in place for, okay, we shouldn't support Trump anymore. No, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this is going to work. I've got a lot more teams. Stay with me. It didn't get nearly as much coverage for obvious reasons as some of the other big breaking stories in the last 24 hours. But there's a, a pretty, pretty rough uh, indictment that got handed down. Um, not rough as in unfair, but rough as in uh, it's going to be tough to, if the facts are accurate in the indictment, tough to beat this one for corruption against uh, California GOP Congressman Duncan Hunter. I've interviewed Congressman Hun uh, Hunter before, and, you know, I, I said this today. I, I always felt like there was something, uh, there was something that he just never was quite the the figure in, in conservatism or in Republican politics that you would think a guy who's you know looks the part he's a former marine you you know he has a good presence what was going on there I mean look maybe I just didn't know him well or and then this grand jury indictment comes down accusing him of filing false campaign reports and wire fraud and here is what we find out about the allegations, at least, against the San Diego-based congressman. But San Diego is such a great place. I'd, I'd love to be a San Diego-based anything, I think. Uh, but so he, here's what here's the, some of the stuff that came out of this. $250,000, they say, worth of campaign funds to pay personal expenses. 
the hunters, the husband and wife, by the way, Duncan Hunter and his wife, are both caught up in this. They are both being criminally charged. The hunters allegedly overdrew their joint checking account more than 1,100 times during a seven-year period, leaning to more than $37,000 in overdraft charges. This is all according to the indictment, uh, and as, as reported on Politico, their credit cards were also maxed out, leading to $24,000 in additional charges. You know, folks, you probably don't need me to tell you this, but one thing that I, I am absolutely sure of, and everybody that I've ever talked to who knows anything is sure about, the first thing you do when you have money, the, the first thing you do when you have any money that you don't need for immediate expenses is pay off credit card bills. I don't care how good an investor you are, you're not making 20% a year, uh, year in and year out with your investments. So if you have any spare cash and you have credit card debt, pay off your credit card debt. I've, I've had to have this conversation with, with some friends of mine who were shocked when I explained to them what an APR actually means and how credit card companies really make their money. They make their money by turning you into an indentured servant of sorts that's just trying to pay off the debt, but you're never really going to get out of the debt unless you manage to save and get ahead uh, of the monthly payments. Anyway, so th this is almost like reading about somebody, Duncan Hunter and his wife sound like people who would have been at the racetrack and, you know, spending their last dime because they've got the, you know, they've got the good number or whatever, you know, they, they know what's going to happen next. And that's all bad enough when just the numbers are bad. But what's really going to make this a a tough case for uh, Duncan Hunter and also just the reputational damage is that in some of the instances, there were really egregious cases. The most egregious, the one that everyone's pointing to, is that he wanted to buy some golf clothing and told his treasurer that it was golf balls for some wounded warriors. Uh, but it was actually golf clothing for him. According to the indictment, innocent until proven guilty, we have to see. But once you start pretending to do charitable stuff, if you were doing charitable stuff or pretending to do charitable stuff for veterans, and it was, in fact, a lie, the jury will, you will have no sympathy from that jury. The jury will not be even a little bit, uh, I, I think at least, willing to hear about how, you know, we're all flawed and you know, nobody was, you know, nobody was really injured here or anything. Let's not get... You know, I don't think Duncan Hunter's going to go away for that long. It's not that much money. And again, he's going to, maybe he's going to defend himself. I don't know if he's going to take a, a plea or not. But it also just reminds me that I, I think there's a, there's a bad trend in American politics right now where people view being a public servant, particularly being an elected official, as not just a pathway to, uh, you know, prominence and, and fame and prestige and all that stuff, but also as a pathway to great wealth and really all, really an entitlement to great wealth. Essentially, if you are, you know, a member of Congress, a senator or uh, somebody who's a cabinet official, this there's this sense of, well, I, I should be able to have the kind of money that all these people that I'm interacting with, you know, the donors and the people at my fundraisers. And, and I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of our elected officials, they fall into this trap because, you know, you, you don't, and a lot of you're going to say, but Congress make a lot of money. Well, you got to maintain two residences, you know, one in DC basically, and one in your home district. You, 
you know, you got to pay DC taxes. It's it's actually not a lot of money. You know, a lot. Of, I think congressmen are making about now. Everything is relative, folks. Right. My first year out of uh, out of school, I was making in the 30s. Um, so I know that it's not easy to and, I, you know, paying all your bills on that is not easy wherever you are. Um, anyway, congressmen, I think, make about 150 K. But if you want to have two homes and have a few kids and maybe want to send one of them or two of them to private school, you know, that you're going to run through that 150 grand very quickly. And that's where or maybe it's 170. I forget something like that. That's where uh, I think some of these politicians get into trouble. They they have power, but not necessarily wealth. And they and they just can't help but feel that that power should entitle them to wealth. And clearly Hillary Clinton, hello, is the best example of this. Uh, In in many ways, the most egregious example of this and the fact that she has faced not only no charges for her massive scheme of of self-enrichment, uh, but also that she hasn't really even been investigated. I know, this is whataboutism. Why are you doing whataboutism? But I think we're also all subjected to a, a uh, misperception of the wealth of other people. You know, I, I think we all are in this place where we will uh, we'll look on social media. We see things on Facebook or on Instagram, if you're on Instagram, and, and everyone's just showing this life where they're always out to these incredible meals. They're always on vacation. And I like to tell folks this, you know, life is actually tough. Life is struggling to pay your bills. Life is worrying about where, you know, people ask me, Buck, why do you, why have you moved so much? It's not because I like moving because I didn't have the money to stay in the apartment that I was living in. Cause I've lived in two very expensive cities for my entire adult life. So when they raise the rent, I got to move. That's stressful. You know, every time you deal with that. I mean, I've moved probably 10 times in my adult life. Think about that. 10 different. I've had at least at least 10 different homes. Now I think about it. Not, and never owning anything, just moving around. Life is that. It's paying credit cards. It's dealing with movers. It's having a boss or a colleague who is berating you without cause and doesn't appreciate you. It's uh, you know, it's a spouse or a significant other getting sick and leaning on you and you having to, you know, that's life. And I think that we all get this idea that life is just traveling from, you know, uh, one, you know one incredible beach vacation to an incredible ski vacation to, you know, the, to a, a winery somewhere. And because that's the life that everyone wants to present about them. So if not, look, some people just like to share they're happy stuff with their friends. And I'm not saying it's not always about, you know, conspicuous social media uh, sharing for its own sake. I think some people do just want to celebrate with their friends. This is what I did. And this is kind of fun. Like everyone does it. I, you know, I go to a wedding, I'll take a photo, right? I mean, this is what we're all doing, but we need to keep that in context. No one, no one shares photos of themselves when they've had food poisoning for two days and they look like they're going to keel over and they're in the office and they're being told they're not doing a good enough job, and they just got dumped. And, you know, that's life. That's been life for me. I've had to do this show with all of those things that have happened, right? I mean, you know, this is not recently. Don't worry. Well, again, knock on wood. But I, I do think that there's this, uh, there's a perception now that maybe is influencing the thinking of, particularly the some of these this younger generation of politicians, Republican and Democrat, who feel like they should be living this, Instagram worthy life 
And they really don't think of public service as serving the public. They think of it as serving themselves. And from what we see in this report, if it's true, then I think you'd have to agree that Duncan Hunter is in that category. And that's a shame. That's a shame. He'd served his country honorably as a Marine, and now it looks like he's going to serve some time in prison for being a corrupt public official if the allegations are true. Got more coming up, team. Stay with me. You know, rarely do I see something and I think to myself, man, that looks like a terrible idea or I'm not going to like that. And I'm surprised. You might say that's the curmudgeon in me. You might think that, well, Buck, of course you think that because you do like to yell at youngins, which to you is people under the age of, you know, from 20 to 30, I guess, uh, to get off your lawn. But I, I saw this phenomenon in the streets of D.C. Probably a few of you have this in your own towns. I know my L.A. listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. High five, L.A. I'll be out in L.A., by the way, in a few days for some uh, some business. Electric scooters. Now, you may think, Buck, isn't an electric scooter something that my grandma rolls around and it goes like, and, you know, you sit on it. And I think that's technically called a rascal. But yes, that is a form of, of electronic scooter. But what I'm talking about are actual scooters, like what you used to play on when you were a kid, you know, and you'd sort of one leg on, one leg you're using to kick at the ground, and it makes you go, and you... Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And I, as a kid, I remember my parents got me a scooter. I think it was called the Black Widow, which I don't know why I remember that, but I do. But it was like an all-black scooter, and I thought when I was... 10 years old or 8 years old, whatever, that was the coolest thing ever. But I had to actually pedal that thing myself, or whatever you call it, when you kick your leg and you, you scooter along. In D.C., as a pilot program, they've started this electric scooter stuff where you it's like Uber, so you have an app. The app tells you where the scooter is, and then you go, you, you just click in with... Uh, your the app essentially you take a photo of the of the thing i'm really not good at explaining this but you 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 it, the little bar you know how they scan barcode there you go you take a photo of the barcode and you hop on and this thing goes about 15 miles an hour and it's com- not that i care about this but it's completely green so it's all it's all, all considered green transport so yay the environment or whatever but you go about 15 miles an hour And it allows you to really just get around the city with tremendous ease. It's incredible. I mean, I I look like such a dork. And I admit this. I accept that I look like a huge nerd and that someone from one of, like, the rival left-wing publications out there who maybe recognizes me from Fox or something like that is going to take a photo of me and mock me relentlessly. And I will deserve it for riding around on this nerdy electric scooter. But I love these things. They are so fun. And I feel like, you know, yeah, it brings out the kid in me. What can I say? But you go, you know, you get to go all over over the city in this little scooter. And the great thing is, unlike a bike, you have full control. So when I get too close to somebody or some maniac, you know, comes flying out of the the doorway and isn't looking at what they're doing, you just can basically hit the brake and step off and you're totally stable. So I, I think it's a lot safer, knock on wood, of course, than bicycle riding around the city, which I've always thought was just... Because people ride around on bicycles are crazy, right? A lot of them go way too fast. They can't control the bikes. 
people have been killed in New York City because they've been hit by bicyclists. Uh, so bicycles, I, I find, and there's also kind of a militant attitude that bicyclists have about the bike lane and everything. Uh, the scooter people, I'm not sure I'm a scooter person yet, but I'm getting close. The electric scooter people can also use the bike lanes, but we can do the street as well. And a lot of them go up on the sidewalk, but that's a no-no unless you're running really late. And then, you know, life's tough. But these things are so fun. And it just makes me think how, you know, what we consider the future of how we get around and where we live and, and commuting and all this, it's going to be so different in 10 or 15 years. You know, there will be autonomous driving pretty soon. And flying cars, I think, is probably 30 or 40 years off. I know people say they're five to 10 years off, but I think it's more like 30 years off before they're really happening. Uh, but these electric scooters, I'm telling you, and you can plug them into the wall, so you don't have to worry about, you know, how, how do I recharge my electric scooter? You just plug it in. Uh, so it's just it's like an electronic appliance, essentially, that can get you to and from work. And 15 miles an hour is just fast enough that you're really moving along. It's essentially as fast as most people would be able to, to you know, to run or sprint over uh, maybe a quarter mile or so. I don't know. I don't know how fast that really is. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I might have to take a photo of myself just for the team because I know you guys won't share anywhere. And I know you won't make fun of me a lot if you see me, uh, you know, riding around D.C. on it on an electric scooter that is nice to the environment, clean energy and all that. But I live just far enough away from the office as well that it can be because I have to go back and forth throughout the day. This is a game changer, folks. It's really fun. Uh, I love it. The company's called Bird. And there's another one called Lime Bike. Those are the two that are in D.C. right now. They're rolling this out, pun intended, as a program in different cities across the country. Uh, D.C. is one of the places, but in, in at Los Angeles right now, the, the main place for this, the mecca of electric, electric scooter riding is Venice and Venice Beach and Santa Monica, uh, where apparently there's some ill will toward the scooter nerds from the general public because they leave their scooters everywhere, and they zip around, and they knock people over and stuff. Um, and I'm just realizing now, you're all going to make fun of me a lot for this. But you know what? It's okay, because I have no secrets from the team. I like to tell you what's going on. And the, you you can say I'm a giant dork. I understand. You can say that I'm a geek. But once you step on one of these electronic scooters, and or electric scooter, and it gets you from your home to the, you know, to the grocery store, or the barbershop, or whatever... And you don't break a sweat in the dead of summer, and it's you get there in as fast basically as if you took a car. If it's in the city, if it's you can't go on highways and, and stuff with them, uh, they go 15 miles an hour. Uh, but once you've done it, I'm telling you, you're gonna say, "Wow, that's kind of fun." Now it's just a function of how do you make this look cool. And I don't know. I don't think that putting little fins and maybe a flame decal on the side of my electric scooter would do it. So I'm open to any ideas, folks. How do I make Team Buck, how do I make myself look cool while I'm coming into the Freedom Hut on my borrowed share app electric scooter? I pose that question to you before roll call. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for roll call. All righty. Roll call. Man, I get a little, I love roll call, but I get a little sad because it's the end of the show. And it shows the uh, the best part of the day every day, folks. Especially right now, where it feels like I am uh, just 
a man alone in the swamp. You know, I, I don't work at a at a conservative place. It's a it's a newspaper. It's both sides. But I you know, I'm not surrounded by conservatives in the office. And then I leave the office and I am surrounded by angry, raging liberals. Uh, so that's not fun. And the culture here in D.C. is very anti-Trump and very liberal. So, uh, you know, it does feel weirdly isolating when I get to talk to you. It feels like dispatches from deep behind liberal lines that's really you know it's this is when i i get to it's like i'm on a ham radio and i'm talking to my my fellow members of well i was going to say the resistance but that's already been taken by a bunch of progressive wimps but some other cool secret society of the of the defense of the republic or something that's what this really feels like okay i'll stop blabbing roll uh roll call facebook.com slash buck sexton kelly is up first Love your Cuomo impression. Did you ever see any of the coverage of CNN from 2016 election night? I wish I had saved the recording, but it has to be out there somewhere for you to find. I was a pregnant insomniac at the time and watched everything on multiple channels through the middle of the night. Just as they started to realize Hillary was going to lose, the wheels started coming off. Chris Cuomo did an analysis and said, if we're going to win, we need to hang on to these states. And then he quickly realized what he said and tried to correct himself by saying, I mean... Hillary, if she's going to win. He barely looked at the camera till they went to commercial a few minutes later. Hilarious. Never watch CNN again after that. You should add Chris to your arsenal of impressions. He is quite worthy. Uh, but seriously, I appreciate your show and listen via podcast. As a military spouse, I'm also grateful for your support of the armed services. Thank you for all you do. Well, Kelly, thank you for your support of the show. And also, please thank your, your spouse, your husband, for uh, his service to the country. So thank you very much for that. And I have a, a Governor Cuomo impression. Bro Cuomo, we have a name for him, a nickname. That's the other Cuomo. But I, I can't say that I have a, an impression for him because he's not that interesting. You know, there's not enough about him to... He's not interesting enough to mock well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but thank you so much for your kind note. Maria writes, Train to Busan is excellent. It received a rare 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. Outstanding effects, good but predictable storyline, and characters you'll fall in love with, not to mention zombies, zombies, zombies. Well, that is quite a recommendation, Maria. I'll see if Miss Molly wants to watch it with me this weekend. We're thinking about picking out a movie together, so Train to Busan sounds like it... uh, I don't know. Miss Molly gets a little scared by the scary movies, so... And, and I'm not going to say I do, but I'm not going to say I don't. I do like a good zombie flick, though. Cornelia writes, Rising is my favorite morning show, but it would be able to. It would be nice to be able to watch the whole show uh, without ads as one video instead of the clip format. I keep having to re-maximize my video so I can watch it full screen. However, despite this issue, I'm an avid viewer, so keep up the good work with Crystal and your excellent reporting. Shields high. Well, Cornelia, thank you. It's nice to have somebody who likes the show right in because some of you have been uh, uh there's been a lot of helpful critiques of the show so far so i'm glad that there's also some folks who usually around the politics of not me uh but i do appreciate you guys writing in no matter what you think about the show um and we are we're working on it fine-tuning it all the time Kyle writes, Buck, listening to your discussion about the left's abuse of the word fascist while extolling the virtues of democratic socialism, I think it's always important to note that the proper term for the Nazi party 
was the National Socialist German Workers' Party and that it achieved power initially through a democratic process. If calling it democratic socialism is supposed to make it sound like a cuddly ideology, I wonder what progressives would think about the term democratic national socialism. Hey, it's democratic, so it has to be good, right? Uh, well, you know, Kyle, this is kind of a an add-on to what, when people joke around about, like, the People's Republic of North Korea. You know, it's, oh, no, sorry, the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea. I left one out there. The People's Demo uh, Democratic Republic of North Korea, the DPRK, is neither democratic nor a republic nor of the people. Uh, so, you know, the more you have to say it in your name sometimes, the less true it is. Uh, and as to your point about uh, socialism, yes, the na National Socialists, uh, that is National Socialist German Workers' Party, the Nazis, they, they will always say, though, the same way the Democrats will just proclaim that the Democratic Party of today is so different from the Democratic Party of before, they'll say the same thing about uh, socialists, that the National Socialists were not really socialists. This is an argument because they don't want that history uh, at their feet. I'm wondering, by the way, when when we all agree that all statues of anybody who is a socialist would also come down, given the history of socialism of enslaving people via uh, government control and the tyranny, murder, and oppression of millions done in the name of, of socialism. You know, you would think that that might also be a part of this historical revisionism that we're all going through now, or rather historical uh, revisiting that we're all going through. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we have Aries who writes, you are all wrong. Thanks, Aries. I can always count on Aries to keep it 100. You're all wrong. Zombieland is the best zombie movie of all time. By the way, if Trump gets pushed out of office, at the very least, I'm checking out John Galt style. I though, although I suspect many will go Ragnar Doniskold. Nice Atlas Shrugged reference, Aries. And as always, my friend, good, good to hear from you. Uh, Tate writes in, Buck, love the show. You the man. Please help us understand the media's madness. It is truly depressing to watch how giddy they are about this Cohen case. It seems they cannot wait to scream to the rooftops. I told you so. I'm beside myself with grief. I think I may have leave Trump alone derangement syndrome. So there's that from Matt. Uh, you know, buddy, it's all going to be okay. It really is. It's, it's, it, they've uh, never managed to stop Trump before. They're not going to stop him this time around. I'm telling you it's all going to be... It's all going to be just fine. Um, I ha I still have a lot of faith here, even though, look, there's some bad stuff going on. They they really think they've got Trump in a corner, but nobody puts Trump in a corner. Rob writes in, listen to your podcast. You made a comment about how New Yorkers read more books than people from, uh, from L.A. You showed your true colors, Buck. Elitism. It was a joke, man. It was a little L.A., New York trash talk. Gosh, Rob, don't take things so seriously, buddy. You know, just because California has, uh, you know, better weather and more beautiful people and, you know, the ocean. And, uh, you know, New York, hey, we got Brighton Beach and hot dogs and, and really good pizza. Although they have really good pizza in L.A. now, too. Uh, just a little, a little bit of trash talk. You know, it's like when I say things about New Jersey... You know I love New Jersey. New Jersey is the uh, the sort of heavy attitude cousin that I'm always happy to see 
and I'm glad I don't, you know, share a home with. You know what I mean? Like New Jersey's is great. New Jersey's part of the fam. As a New Yorker, I love I love New Jersey. So, next up, before I get myself into more trouble, uh, Dale. Hey, Buck. We are back from our inaugural trip to NYC this past week, and want to let you know how much we appreciated your suggestions that I solicited from you. We did hit some of the touristy sites, Empire State Building, Top of the Rock, but truly some of the best experiences were the ones you suggested. Lunch at J.G. Mellon's, Cheeseburger and Chili. Oh, yes. Strolling through the Upper East Side to Central Park, past the Model Boat Pound, Lee Boathouse, Bethesda Fountain, and up to the Lennon Memorial. Saw Phantom of the Opera on Friday, and let's just say there's a reason it's been playing for 30 years. Unfortunately, our trip was cut short due to a family tragedy, but we still intend to return to see the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art, walk the High Line, and visit Greenwich Village. Thanks so much, Buck, for the tips. For me, it really made my first trip to New York City one to remember. I like it better than I ever thought I would. Well, Dale, I'm so glad you took my advice, my friend. And I'm really glad you had a good time. And you should definitely... Um, by the way, I'm sorry to hear about the, uh, the, the death in the family, but uh, I really hope you get another chance to go to New York City and, and have, a, you know, have a great time there. And yeah, definitely check off the rest of that list that I gave you. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the way to do New York City, plan out beforehand and really go see some of the... New York's an incredible place. So is Los Angeles, which is a place I'm going in two days. I'll be in L.A. this weekend for all you L.A. folks out there. So maybe you'll see me strolling around West Hollywood or Santa Monica. That's where I tend to hang out. I will be with you all tomorrow here in the hut. Shields high. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Folks, I have colleagues here at the Hill in D.C. that we hired exclusively by using ZipRecruiter. I have a ZipRecruiter account. I have dealt with this program. I have dealt with ZipRecruiter, and it's given me fantastic people to work with, so I can give it my utmost approval and guarantee. You should definitely check this out. There's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's the exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton.